Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. We'll be in John 8, 48 through 59. While we were singing and listening to the word being read, I just was really appreciative for the church that God has given us. So let's just pray once again before we begin and just thank God for where we get to be this morning. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that we are able to experience being with other believers in this building in a place where we don't have to fear for our lives, that we're able to openly proclaim your name. Father, I pray that you would just be with us as we get into your word. Help us to understand it. Help us to let it impact our our hearts and our minds. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. So I was doing some reading this week, and I was interested. I came across a paper that the Holocaust Museum published just last year. It said that, well, the paper was entitled Holocaust Memory at Risk, the distortion of Holocaust memory across Europe. This paper gave a summary of their findings, which that Holocaust memory, there's a denial and a distortion of it that is trending upwards across Europe. According to this research, there's a growing amount of people who are just denying the Holocaust or saying, well, no, it didn't happen quite like that. How can this be? We know that the evidence for the Holocaust is overwhelming, really. You can visit concentration camps today. You can visit Auschwitz. You can visit Sachsenhausen. You can visit Mauthausen. You can visit Dachau. You can go to these places. You can go to museums. My dad and I, we took a uh, trip out east when I was a senior in high school. We went to the uh, Holocaust Museum there, and I remember seeing pictures, I remember seeing videos of people who had experienced the Holocaust or people who had liberated some of those camps. Most of all, I remember 4,000 shoes that were piled up, men's loafers, women's heels. It's an image that stays with you forever, really. Despite this overwhelming evidence, people still refuse to believe that the Holocaust happened. Oftentimes they do this because it fits their ideology, how they want to see the world. In our passage that we're going to cover today, the Jews, the, John calls them Jews, he's talking a lot of the uh, Jewish religious leaders here, the Pharisees. They are doing the same thing in this passage. They're disbelieving something about Jesus despite overwhelming evidence. I want to give a little context here. We're kind of in the middle of the book of John. So I want to give some context. In chapter 6, in chapter 7 and 8, Jesus has been teaching about himself, about who he is. He's been making huge claims. He makes claims like in chapter 6, verses 34 through 35, when he says he's the bread of life come down from heaven to give life to the world. That's a 
big claim. He claims in chapter 7, verse 16 and 18, he claims that he isn't teaching his own, his own things. He's teaching what God says, God who sent him. Big claims. But we know that up until this point in John, Jesus has done the things to back up these claims. At this point, Jesus, he's turned the water into wine. Jesus, he has healed the sick. He has made the lame walk. He has fed thousands. Jesus has done everything to give ample evidence that back up his huge claims. But the Jews, they won't hear his words. They refuse to hear his words. Now Jesus, right before where we'll get into in chapter eight, he tells them they don't hear his words because God is not their father. Their father is the devil. They they say that Jesus is telling lies, but Jesus, he points to the fact that no one can convict him of sin. He asks them, who here can convict me of sin? And they know they cannot do it. Let's read our, our passage. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. My hope this morning in reading this and studying this is that you'll know exactly who Jesus is and that a denial of his identity, it leads to death. But an acceptance of who he is leads to life. In this text, we see that it depicts three ways, three ways that the Pharisees and the Jews deny Jesus. Three ways. Now, the first, the Jews deny Jesus' duty. 
They deny his mission. They deny why he is here. The, Janu- the Jews, they cannot convict him of any sin. So instead, what do they do? They throw accusations at him. They say, you are a Samaritan, right? You have a demon. They accuse Jesus with the Samaritan. Really, they're saying that he's not, he's not being a good Jew. They know that at this point, he has had favorable encounters with Samaritans. And they know that he is not adhering to the laws. Well, the laws that they, the way they interpret the laws. They think he is a bad Jew, but we know, we know that they're wrong. We know that Jesus, he came to fulfill the law, Matthew 5, 17 says. We know that Jesus perfectly obeys the law, John 8, 46. Think of all the times Jesus and the Jews clash over the Sabbath. This is a good example of their misunderstanding of who Jesus is and the law and Jesus and how he perfectly upholds it. So they're trying to belittle him by saying he's a Samaritan. But they go further by saying you have a demon. This isn't the first time he's been accused of having a demon and it won't be the last. What they're really saying is that he's a crazy person. He's insane. To have a demon is to be associated with having a disordered mind, to be associated with evil. You are ruled by evil. That's what they say about Jesus. Jesus answers by explaining his mission, his duty, why he was sent. The Jews, remember, they can't convict him of violating any law, of doing any sin. So he ignores this Samaritan accusation. This is ridiculous. But he does state he does not have a demon. And he says this because he honors God. One who honors God cannot have a demon. But by their accusations, they dishonor Jesus. And also the Father. We know this. John and previously has said in 5.23, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now Jesus, he has come for a reason. In verse 50, he speaks of glory. He speaks of glory, but he says that he did not come for his own glory. If Jesus wanted his own glory, he could have stayed in heaven. We, see, we look at John 17 and we see what Jesus says to the Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus has glory. He came to do the work of his Father. He doesn't have to worry about his own glory. God glorifies the Son as the Son accomplishes the work of the Father. So what is the work of the Father? Well, we see it, we see it in verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus' mission is to save his people from sin to provide a hope of eternal life with the Father through his life, his death, and his resurrection. 
The one who keeps his word, abides in him, clings to him as savior, that is a child of God. That is why he is here. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John 3.36. But the Jews, they refuse to believe this. They refuse to believe that Jesus is their Savior. They refuse to believe that his mission and duty is to save them from their sins. They deny Jesus' duty, his mission. We also see that the Jews deny his dominion. Now, it's lunacy to the Jews that eternal life could come from this man, this man who really is a nobody, they think. He's, He's from Galilee. He's a fisherman. We know who his father and mother are, they say. It can't be this guy. But this claim that Jesus makes in 50 and 51, it absolutely confirms in their minds that he is insane. In 52, it says, now we know you have a demon. Without a doubt, we know it. But Jesus, he's not talking about a physical death like they think. He's talking about a spiritual death. Now this claim that Jesus makes, it angers the Jews. It angers them and they want to take action against them. We have seen up until this point, we see how many times they try to kill Jesus and again, they will try to kill Jesus. It's a pattern that you see when uh, the youth group were studying, well, back uh, in the fall we were studying Paul and he has a pattern. He goes to a city, goes to the synagogue, preaches Christ crucified, the Jews get mad, they try to kill Paul. It happens over and over and over again. And we see that here. Jesus preaches himself. The Jews get mad and now they want to kill him. Paul follows Jesus in this. Now in order to kill Jesus, the Jews, they they need to have a viable reason. So they're going to try to trap him. They like to do this. They're going to try to trap him in blasphemy. They need to get Jesus to openly declare that he is God. Then they can stone him. Now the Jews, they try to trap him with this question in 52 and 53. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? who died and the prophets died, this is the question, who do you make yourself out to be? That's the big question they want him to answer. Are you greater than the great patriarch Abraham, that great man of faith? Are you, Jesus, greater than the prophets, the very heralds of God? But Jesus' defense, he points them to the Father again. He points them to his mission, his duty, why he is sent, and who he is. He essentially says, I'm not making myself anybody. The Father, he glorifies Jesus. 
The Jews, they can't understand why we keep talking about glory. They don't understand that Jesus is not here to make himself anyone, but to rather lay his life down for others. They don't understand that this glory for Jesus runs straight through the cross. Jesus, he says later in in John 12 that the Son of Man must be lifted up, that is crucified. When Jesus dies and raises again, he is glorified. His mission is complete. That is the glory. This, This isn't understood by the Jews. They refuse to understand it. But yet, the Jews still say they know God. They still say that God is their father. They claim to to know God. And this is something that Jesus calls them out on. They, They claim God, but the son has an eternal relationship with God. The Jews, they cannot at the same time honor God and dishonor the son. That that cannot happen. So Jesus, he calls them out on it. You have not known him, Jesus tells them. And he goes farther. He calls them liars. How can they know God the Father if they refuse to know God the Son? This is is lunacy, and the Jews know it. They are liars. Now Jesus, he continues He doesn't back down to the abrasiveness, to these accusations of the Jews. He continues, he says, I know him. Jesus, he could not refuse his intimate oneness with God the Father. To do so, he says, would make him a liar like the Jews. And not only does Jesus know God, but he keeps his word. Jesus, he does the will of his Father. He perfectly keeps the law. He is humble. He's obedient to the point of death on the cross. So at the name of Jesus, every tongue will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2.8, what a verse. Jesus knows God intimately and is in every way superior to all others, superior to Abraham, superior to the prophets. Jesus has dominion and they deny it. So they deny why Jesus is here, his duty, his mission. They deny his dominion, his place overall. And finally, they deny his divinity. Before the Jews can respond to Jesus saying, you're liars and unbelievers, he continues, he addresses Abraham. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad, that Jesus says. Jesus explains to them that their beloved patriarch looked to Jesus for the salvation of the world. Commenters cannot agree on this passage. I really had a hard time with this verse. I went round and round with it. No one really knows what this means, that Abraham looked to Jesus. 
It could, it has a couple of explanations. Could it be that when Abraham's son Isaac was returned to him, was restored to him, and God, he provided a ram for himself as atonement, maybe that's where Abraham glimpsed that God would provide for himself atonement. So it could be that. It could also be that Abraham in heaven sees Jesus' day, Jesus come incarnate and is greatly rejoicing. But the, the details here, that's not exactly what matters. What matters is that Jesus is placing himself above Abraham. Abraham not only rejoices, but greatly rejoices to see Jesus. Those, there are two different Greek words here used, and Abraham greatly rejoices when he sees Jesus' day. Jesus places Abraham in a position of submission to himself where Jesus provides something for Abraham, not the other way around. Jesus is the one who fulfills the Abrahamic covenant. And the Jews cannot believe Jesus is saying this. This is outrageous. And the Jews finally respond, still trying to trap Jesus. You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? You can hear the disrespect here for Jesus. You can hear it. The Jews are again dishonoring and belittling Jesus. Jesus, he has not yet reached the time, they say 50 years old, that's when a man of that time would kind of stop working. He was old, he was wise at 50. And Jesus, he had not yet reached that. So they say, how could you have possibly seen Abraham? We know how old you are. And this is when Jesus finally says what the Jews have been after this whole time. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This is, this is the Jews' gotcha moment, they think. We have him. He said it. This is the blasphemy that we've been looking for. They refuse to see the truth. They refuse to see that Jesus is the I am. Why is this I am statement such a big deal? It's a big deal because Jesus is equating himself with God. He's essentially saying, I am God. This is the same title that God uses for himself in Exodus that Spencer read for us. This is the same usage of the great theistic proclamations in Isaiah 41 through 58. I am he. I am God. One commenter, commentator writes, this phrase, I am, harbors within itself the most authentic, the most audacious, and the most profound affirmation by Jesus of who he was. Another writes, it points to the absolute, 
independent and external existence of Jesus. It places Jesus in God's existence beyond time in his eternal present. Beyond time. Jesus is saying, I eternally was, I now am, and will ever continue to be this is who Jesus is. But the Jewish religious leaders, they will not believe it. They will not hear it. This claim has now allowed the Jews to pick up their stones to kill Jesus. Jesus, he does flee, but we have to remember he does not flee out of cowardice. This is not Jesus fearing for his life. We know that his time has not yet come. Jesus will lay down his life. He will freely give his life for sinners. But that time has not yet come. The Jews, they refuse to know Jesus as God the Son. They deny his divinity. They seek to kill him because of their denial. So to conclude this morning, this exchange between Jesus and the Jews, the religious leaders, it shows three denials. The Jews, they deny Jesus' duty, his mission of why he's here. They deny his dominion, his place above all others. And they deny his divinity of his being the true God, the Son. So what can this text teach us? What can this text teach us about our lives? How can it impact our lives both here and beyond the walls of NCC? One, we must stand for truth. Look at how Jesus, he never backs down from these Jewish leaders, from their questioning in the face of all their disrespect, in the face of all their abrasiveness. He tells them first how to be saved. He says, keep my word and you'll never see death. But he also tells them to their face that they are liars. They do not believe in him, the Son. They do not know God, the Father. Let us have such a commitment to the word and a boldness, a boldness to speak the truth. This is hard because when someone around you says, oh, well, the Jesus that I believe in, my Jesus, my Jesus would never condemn someone for being themselves. When they say this, and it's often said to justify sin, when that is being said, out of love for the Father and for that person, let us have the faith to say, then you do not know the Son. You do not know the Father. May our desire to be winsome never outweigh our desire to speak the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And second, 
let us beware our sinful flesh. If we're being honest with ourselves, there is something in the word, something Jesus teaches that we have a hard time swallowing. We have a hard time with it. We struggle with it. We have a weak and sinful flesh that Paul describes in Romans 7 as having nothing good in it. Let us recognize where we struggle and put in work to coming underneath Jesus' teachings. Unlike what the Pharisees are doing where they fight, they struggle against it at every turn. Let us not be like that. Remember that trusting in the Lord leads to life. Jesus came to save sinners. His teaching leads to life. And those who keep his word, those who abide in him, will have eternal life. Submitting to his teaching, trusting in who he says he is, that's what gives life. The Pharisees, they continue to fight it. I grew up with, well, with my dad, and he loves horses, so he always had a few horses on hand. And I am not very, I'm not a very good horse rider. Um, and the horses that I was on, they would always be, you know, throwing their head around, trying to fight, fight against the bit. And the Pharisees continue to do that. They continue to fight, and they're fighting to. It led them to seek Jesus' destruction, but it only ensured their own destruction. Let us not fight against it. If you have not yet come to know Jesus as your Savior, I beg you, no longer fight Jesus. Repent of your sins. Accept him as your Savior who died for you. Live by his teachings and you will have the hope of an eternal life spent with a Savior who loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending your Son to die for us. Thank you for paying for sins that we we can never fully pay for, Lord. Thank you that we can know you through Jesus. We pray that you would give us the strength to come under your teaching, the desire to be taught by you. Give us the boldness to point others towards you, Lord, because we know that you love them and you love us. Father, I pray that you would help us to always remember who you are. I pray that it would impact us every day. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.